Welcome to Freedom to Choose from Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit providing hope to those caught in the devastation of addiction of any kind or those searching for a better way to live. Rich and Susan Collenberg found freedom from drug addiction and alcoholism over two decades ago. In the series, The Temple of the Mind, they examine the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, and other Bible passages to show how God uses His Holy Word in the events and trials of life to prepare hearts and minds to be the temple of His Holy Spirit. Take every thought captive now on Freedom to Choose. Hello, everyone. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. And we would like to welcome you to Freedom to Choose. And we, if you've noticed, we have some new intro music. And this is program number one on our new series, The Temple of the Mind. And the title of this program is called Atop the Mountain. And what we're going to do in this series is we're going to discuss... Um, what went on when Jesus gave them the Beatitudes and when he uh, talked, uh, taught them the Lord's Prayer and what um, actually that meant to them. And also, we're going to talk about the temple of the mind and how important it is and, uh, and what actually all that means when, when the Bible says you are the temple. Um, of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, and, and what does the Beatitudes have to do with that? Well, and it just exactly what are the Beatitudes, if you've never read them in the Bible, and, and why would Jesus go through that um, explanation of things, you know, to, to people in his time, during his lifetime, and we would still be able to look at them today and be able to apply them to our lifetime. Yeah, Yes. So before we get going, Susan, would you open with a word of prayer, please? Yes. Our loving Father in heaven, we are grateful that you are a fixer of the mind, and uh, we desire above anything else, above the riches of this land or even of, of health, that you would come into our hearts, help our, our minds to heal from, from anger, resentment, from pain, from hate, from a misunderstanding of who you are and what you desire to do in our lives. Lord, we just ask now that you will help us to see new um, pictures of you and how that picture can actually heal our hearts and minds. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Susan. Mm-hmm. The now, music is nice. The music is nice. You yes, know, it's that, different. It's different. Um, we, we, uh, we will have another... A, a new album coming out that's going to have a song about John three sixteen and First Corinthians thirteen. That'll be out in a little bit, and we'll keep you posted on that. And maybe that might be um, a free resource that we I, can send we made, once we have the CDs made. Yeah, and so and this song, uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer, is actually available now if you want it now on iTunes and Spotify and all that stuff. But when the album comes out, we'll we'll uh, we'll get a whole bunch of them and. And uh, make them available. Um, so, in this series, we're going to unpack the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, and a few other things. But mainly, what we're going to talk about is character. And and Susan, 
when we talk about character and addiction and and what they mean to one another, is there a connection? Of, um, is there a connection? You know, in other words, you know, with a strong character versus a weak character, um, characteristics of a strong character and well, a weak character. So I think that that when the rubber meets the road, it's the character that dictates how you respond to life in general. Okay, that's and good. And so regardless of anything that's going on around you, your foundation of having a strong character is the most important thing because, you know, like we've said many times about this planet. It's dangerous. Right. It's broken. Right. And how you respond to things. So can we say a strong character would be an, would be an unselfish person and not a fearful person? Right. In other words, in a strong and a strong character, an unselfish person, and, and a not fearful person would be in no need of medication then, would they, to numb their uh, emotional pain? Right. So let's make a distinction between, um, you know, medication that addicts use okay. to go into oblivion as opposed to medication that people may take for whatever they suffer from. Okay. So yes, there's a yes, distinction. There's this distinction yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Prescription medication yep. to, yeah, yeah, because we are definitely... Um, but Susan and I both have been on medication for certain, um, <laughs> things. she's laughing, or, certain ailments right. to get, you know, to get you through a point in life or whatever, right. or for whatever. So yeah, no, thank God for doctors and, yes. and, and the influence of the Holy Spirit on people that create medication and, and all that stuff. So, so let's go back to character. So a strong character would be an unselfish, unafraid person that wouldn't need to run uh, from reality run beautiful yeah because you can run from reality in many ways right via a substance or a behavior or right 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 so uh, let's in fact let's have a little fun let's name a couple of behavioral addictions behavioral addictions would be um shopping shopping can yes. be one okay uh, gambling can be one. Gambling. Right. And I would imagine that even within those, there's some type of a physical addiction to, so maybe the brain, there's some type well, yeah, of yeah, a I mean, physiological you, you get a reward. Part of it. Right. Yeah. So, be, but behavioral addictions are going to give you that, the dopamine rush or the reward. From but, the but action you do. The substance addictions are going to give you the actual chemical change. Right. That's administered. So so you have the two types of addiction, substance and behavior. So let's talk about weak character now. What would be a weak character? Could we say that a weak character would be a selfish and fearful person? Right. Okay. And so character, so a weak character that would be selfish and fearful, they would, they would crave some kind of medication to get them out of reality. Mm -hmm. Right? Because there's nothing worse than living in fear. Right. But if there is something you can take to, to, to numb that fear or to make that fear temporary, temporarily go away, mm -hmm. because you and I both know as we went through our addictions that the escape from reality was the sweet spot. The right. only problem was reality always came back with a vengeance worse than it was when you were on the medication. You right. Know, when you went on. So what, what's that old saying? I don't have any problems that I can't make worse by using drugs and alcohol. Right. Reality right. comes back in a vengeance. But see, character needs to be developed, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be developed. 
Right. We are the dwelling place of God, and God doesn't force his way into any places where he's not welcome. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. Right, and so for more than 14 centuries before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the children of Israel gathered in the valley of Shechem, and from the mountains on either side, the priests proclaimed the blessings and the cursings. Yeah, and so let's go back, if we will, because a bl- the Bible says in De- Deuteronomy eleven twenty-seven and 28, a blessing if you obey the commandments of your Lord, and a curse if you will not obey. And what is happening here is God is trying to build their character. As you do the right thing, you learn how reality works, and your character gets changed. And and so he's trying to teach them that do the right thing, and for the most part, there'll be a blessing. Mm, I, you know, mm-hmm. I've always said, I know how to ruin my marriage is stop at a strip bar on the way home, right? right? right. Because that's the wrong thing, mm-hmm. and there's not a blessing that's going to follow that. Right. So the, um, now the mountain from which the words were spoken came to be known as the Mount of Blessing, and from that mount, that's where this entire series is going to take place. This is where Jesus... Um, Jesus spoke the Beatitudes, and so I think it's going to be a really fun series to talk about how Jesus goes through all of these things and and talks to these people on things that they had never heard, you know, the greatest teacher the universe has ever heard. and Right, and I think that um, it's almost like you can look through um, the—from the beginning of the Bible— and and see and go through and you can almost see like a um a growing up of people mm-hmm. i'm not saying that we're any better than the people during jesus's time or before that i'm just saying that i think that god gives an opportunity for maturity mm-hmm. as time has grown so you know, when you go back to like the children of Egypt, they were given the Ten Commandments. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. And then, you know, and then when Jesus came, he's like, um, well, it even goes beyond that. I want you to think about what's actually in your mind. Mm-hmm, the temple of the mind. Right, the mind, because it's in the mind prior to action. Yep. And if it's in the mind, it's just as bad as if you take the action. And so I think that God is working with humanity and, and at some point in time, and it feels like we're getting closer and closer to that time, at some point in time, there is going to be um, a culmination of this, um, of these two sides, you know, the mm-hmm, side of mm-hmm. evil and the side of good, the side of selfishness, the side of, of selflessness. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're all in that process. And so um, in, in Israel had fallen short of God's ideal. So um, so someone other than Joshua needed to guide his people to the true rest of faith. So let's imagine we can go back to that scene as we can sit on the, the, the mountain with the disciples and enter into the thoughts and the feelings of all those people and what was inside their heart. We can understand what the words of Jesus means to those who hear them, and we can more clearly see their vividness and beauty 
and that can bring together deeper lessons for us to learn. Yes, yes, because once again, we are talking about the temple of the mind and how God wants to reside in us, if you will. And so as Jesus is talking about these things, number one, we want to kind of, in our imagination, go back there. What did it mean to them? Mm-hmm. And based on that, what does it mean in general? Mm-hmm. And then based on that, what does it mean to you individually? Mm-hmm. Because when Jesus began his ministry, the pop, the, the popular conception of the Messiah and, and the Messiah's work was contrary to what Jesus actually did. So everything was already rigged against him by the devil. When the devil gets you living in resentment and fear and hatement, hatred and revenge. And revenge, and then the Savior that you are waiting for is going to inflame and substantiate all your hateful and vengeful thoughts. You're not waiting for Jesus. See, and this is, this is what's happening. Je- Jesus had him so worked up against the Romans. Satan had I'm him. I'm sorry, Satan had him so worked up against the Romans that when Jesus came and says, hey, I'm here to, to fix you individually, they didn't want that. They wanted the Romans pushed down. So they, they didn't expect the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to come and take care of their enemies. When the enemy is inside each one of us, it's our carnal nature. Right. And he's and he's. This is why when he says the beatitudes, he's speaking to everyone individually. Is this is about you? See, we don't see Jesus as he really is. We see him as we are, depending on our background, depending on the lens, depending what we want our God to do for us. Right. And so, and I think that's like been the problem with humanity all through the ages is that like we have this cataract or this disease yes. in our mind's eye. That clouds us from seeing God for who he is. Either we're looking at him as our savior to um, to hold revenge against those people mm-hmm. that have harmed us, or we're, we're looking at him as somebody who's going to harm me because mm-hmm. that's what he does. He harms people. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, so, so we... Like you say, it's we had the the vision of Satan in our hearts as opposed to what God was truly like, think, and that's why Jesus came. I think if we could understand one thing, that we don't use the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit uses us. Mm-hmm. We don't use Jesus, Jesus uses us. When they were waiting for Jesus, they wanted to use him right. to tramp down the road. It doesn't work that way, right. it works the opposite way. Right. God uses us, we don't use him. Mm-hmm. He's, not our, he's not our axe or our army. Right. And when he came the first time, the spirit of true devotion had been lost in tradition and and ceremonialism, and the prophecies were interpreted by proud, world-loving hearts. And the Jews were looking for the one, not as a savior from sin to clean up their own heart, but as a prince that would bring all the other nations to their knees. Yes, yes. They were looking for a conqueror, like mm-hmm. you say, so not not to, you know, to do everything outside of me, conquer all my enemies and mm-hmm. all those foes that, that, that mistreat me, but leave me alone, right? Now, Let you, me continue on my own little path. Have you ever noticed that in your life? No matter, because we like to point out everything that's wrong around us. Right. Right? Right. And if everything that is wrong around us would just get right, we would be fine. Right. But we can't. 
it, I don't care how right everything is around us. If we're wrong inside, everything's going to be wrong. It will never be right enough. It's never an outside it, job. It's never. It's always an inside right. job. And when we and when we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and transform our character, transform that temple of the mind into someone that's kind, gentle, and loving, then we're no longer looking at the problems that are outside that are in other words, our reaction to the problems totally changes. Right. Our, our, our because of, you know. Our perceptions Our, our perceptions change. change. They actually change. The lens that we look through change. And, you know, uh, John the Baptist tried to call them to repentance. It was in vain. In vain, he pointed out Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And God, in that prophecy of Isaiah, was trying to, to direct their minds to Jesus, but but they wouldn't hear because of the lens they were looking through. Right. So as if the teachers and the leaders would have yielded to God's transforming grace, then Jesus could have made them his ambassadors. So, well, let's re- reframe that. If we yield to God's transforming grace, he will make us ambassadors as well. That's a very astute observation, if you will, if we yield to his transforming grace. Why do we need to be transformed? Because, once again, character is developed. Well, it, and, and I think that we all have that carnal nature, and it, it, does, it doesn't make it wrong. It just makes that, you know, we are in need of that transformation. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the carnal nature is a beautiful thing when it's kept in check. Right. But when it rules the life, we get into trouble. It, the, it was in Judea that the first coming of the kingdom had been proclaimed. A call to repentance had been given. The act of driving out the desecrators from the temple at Jerusalem. Jesus had announced himself as the Messiah, the one who would cleanse the soul from the defilement of sin— and make his people a holy temple unto the Lord. But the Jewish leaders wouldn't humble themselves and receive that message so, because they were looking for the wrong guy. Right, and so that that scene in the temple, I think, can sometimes be misconstrued as to what Jesus was really doing mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. So it... So Jesus, it, it was a, it was a um, metaphor... Mm-hmm. For Jesus wanting to drive, you know, that temple, mm-hmm. right? That holy temple yeah. represents the temple of our mind. Yes, that temple back then right. was and, an object lesson. And Jesus wants to be able to come into our hearts and the temple of our minds in mm-hmm. order to chase out all those passions mm-hmm. that cause our characters to go astray. Yes. But instead, we we want to look at the actual physical thing that Jesus did and that he got angry. And, and we mi- Yeah, we missed the object lesson. Right, we missed the, the point of what Jesus was actually trying to show in a bigger scale of what he wanted to do. And, you know, even the disciples who had been around him for three and a half years lost the message. And it wasn't until, you know, further down. And so, I mean, even now we don't see the message completely. Sure. No, yeah, we're all blinded to some degree. Right. Um, And that actually, his act of cleansing that temple was the inspiration for this series. Because Mm -hmm. when you look through... You know, like Susan and I have, we have this addicted mind. We've been through addiction, uh, and we, I don't, we feel that tug of that carnal nature. Because when you're getting clean and sober, 
you can really feel that tug of, of, of the carnal nature and what you used to medicate yourself to to try to, you know, um, numb that tug, if you will. Right. And so what's interesting is it's it's the message has not changed, right, in the human condition. Nope. We're dead in trespass and sin, and um, Jesus says, know you not that you're, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? How can we be the temple for God to reside in if we're alive in sin? Right. The temple has to be cleansed. And so, you know, when Jesus cleansed that temple, it was simply symbolic for cleansing our hearts and minds, like Susan was saying. He ran out the beasts, the money changers, and the Pharisees. Now, remember, the carnal nature has three problems— Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. We're going to call them sensualism, materialism, and egoism. That's Uh what the beasts and the money changers and the Pharisees represented. The beasts in the the metaphor represent the, the animal passions, the sensualism, if you will. The money changers represented the greed or the, the lust of the eyes, or we're going to call that materialism, if you will. And the Pharisees represented pride, or we're going to call that egoism. Now, these carnal nature um, faculties, characteristics. That, characteristics that we have, they're not bad in and of themselves, but when we let them run wild, and so what Jesus is doing, he's running them out, and wh- who's left on his lap? The little children. The little children and the peop- and the outcasts remained in the temple. And I think this is another metaphor is you need to be as little children because when you open the heart and let them cleanse, come in to cleanse your heart and run out that, that ego and run out the, the pride and the arrogance and run out the, the sensualism and, and those things so that you are now in control of your carnal nature. It doesn't control you. You have to be like a little child with right. an open heart. Right. And so that's all that was left. In in how do you run all those people out of the mm-hmm. out of the temple? But the the children aren't afraid. Right. And I think that that's further demonstration that Jesus wasn't angry and being vindictive or anything. I think that it was his manner that did it. And I think it. So it's kind of like the sun can rise, and it will have the same. Um, it's the same whether you're a candle. Wait a second. Whether you're, I, I got to get the metaphor get, correctly. Get the right metaphor yes. there. Yes. You know, so the sun's going to affect um, people differently, yes. right? Yes. If you're a lump of clay, it's going to harden the clay. If right. you're a lump of well, wax, it's going to melt, melt it. it. Right. So it, it wasn't Jesus that was different. It was, it was the, the person's was, heart. Exactly. Right? So exactly. those people were petrified. Well, for good reason, because yeah. that was, was in their hearts. But well, the little children had no reason to be afraid of him. Yeah. God, God had just walked into that temple with all the authority of the king of the universe. Right. And as le- unless you're as a little child, unless you've let and opened that heart and let him work on that temple of the mind where he wants to reside, we he will be a it would be a frightening experience. Right. And so that's why this that's why we felt it so necessary to do this series on the temple of the mind. There's so much to look out that's at, look at that's wrong out in that this world. Don't. Keep your eyes on that. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Let him come in to your heart and your mind and and let him heal that temple of the mind where he wants to reside, where there's no confusion, where there's peace. Granted, you won't have peace with the devil, 
but you will have peace with God. Be like that little child sitting on Jesus's lap in the temple. Um, right. And because we know that in Revelation it talks about the lion who goes around with a great roar trying to scare people. Mhm. The devil's trying to scare and, and Jesus is the is the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. Once again, remember, you're not going to have peace with the devil, but you will definitely have peace with God. And that's you know, that's what it's all about. That's what it, to be able to sleep at night, night, to not be angry and vengeful and hateful and be destroying that temple of your own mind. We're going to have to wrap it up, folks, that quick. This is our first episode in this series, The Temple of the Mind. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. The next program, we're going to get into the Beatitudes. We just kind of wanted to set set the framework for it and let you know what we're going to be talking about. And remember, folks, there's only two ways to live your life. One is like nothing is a miracle. The other is like everything is a miracle. And you have the freedom to choose. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank you for listening to the Temple of the Mind on Freedom to Choose. There is truly hope for people whose lives seem to be overrun with problems, unhealthy relationships, or even imprisoned by some form of addiction. Rich and Susan Kallenberg are living testimonials that biblical principles do work. They've authored resources available to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook, Seven Steps to Freedom, or the book, Could It Be This Simple, The Way Out of Your Prison? Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they're supported by people like you. 916-645-1297 or justasiamministries.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.